Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to this episode of True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. This conversation is going to help you rehab Tommy John surgeries infinitely better than you have in the past. You're going to hear a lot of clinical pearls and words of wisdom from Dr. Mike Reinold, who has probably rehabbed more Tommy John surgeries than, than anyone else in the country. Uh, but he really goes into the nitty gritty of how to get an outstanding outcome with the athlete that's in front of you and trying to overcome that surgery. Uh, also look forward to hearing tidbits about Mike's career, his profession, and also the way he manages and juggles everything. It's, it's really an awesome conversation that I know I learned a lot from, and hopefully you will too. We're always looking for your feedback, so please share it at True Sports PT on Instagram. Uh, we're always reading your feedback, and a lot of you guys requested to have Mike Reinald on, so so excited that he was able to join us for today's episode. Also, if you're interested in joining the team or just finding out more information about True Sports Physical Therapy, that's the best place to do it, at True Sports PT. You can also find us on our website, truesportspt.com. Without further ado, an awesome conversation with Dr. Mike Reinold. Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. As always, this is Yoni Rosenblatt. I'm really excited to have Dr. Mike Reinold with us. Mike, welcome to the show. Yoni, thank you so much. This is, this is awesome. I've been listening to the podcast. I've been watching you guys online and uh, really appreciating all the stuff you guys are doing, uh, pushing the envelope a little bit with the sports PT profession. So uh, thanks so much for having me and, and, and taking some time to chat today. Absolutely. Um, I, I've heard and we have all heard so much about what you've published and what you've produced in the clinical side. Tell me a little bit about your path to get there. Tell us the Mike Reinold professional history. Oof, oh man, that's, I'm getting too old, Yoni. I mean, that's gonna, that could take us the whole episode, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll try to give you the, the nutshell one, but you know, when I was in college trying to become a physical therapist, like I always knew I wanted to get into sports. Um, you know, so I started to become an athletic trainer at the same time. Um, I knew I wanted to specialize in baseball. So, you know, I, I, I thought like, you know, who, who are the best out there? Who are the experts out there? Um, and I found ASMI, the American Sports Medicine Institute down in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and, you know, Dr. Andrews, the, the, you know, surgeon to all the star athletes and Kevin Wilk, you know, my, my friend, my friend and mentor now, like he's, you know, I, I owe them so much for, for helping me to, you know, to, to set the tone for the future of my career, not just my knowledge, but also like understanding what it, what it is to become a true physical, you know, sport physical therapist and, and the nature of that. Um, so I worked down there for a while. I got a great opportunity to come back home to Boston and, and work with the Boston Red Sox for a while. So you could argue I got my dream job in my late twenties. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, but you know, it's, it, you know, over time things evolve and you know, got out of baseball for a little bit and opened up my own place up in Boston. It's called champion PT and performance. It's like a big, big gym sports performance center with PT and, uh, we're doing all that. And, since then, I've done a bunch of stuff, a bunch of online stuff, and, you know, I work with the White Sox now to help them with their medical department, but, you know, other than that, it's pretty good. Oh, and I'm the president of the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy. I shouldn't say that, so, you know, that's 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 a fun one, too, to, to, to give back to the profession. Well, we, we appreciate it dearly. Uh, you, you belittled a lot of those unbelievable <laughs> accolades and positions, so I appreciate the humility. Tell me how you... <laughs> balance all of those things you got private practice you got your consulting you have your education what's your secret to balancing all of these things yeah it be, I, i'm it's most people that you think are doing a really good job probably aren't 
<laughs> right? So, you know, behind the scenes, but uh, no, uh, the secret is very easy for me. Like I, um, a long time ago, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, I started to get really systems mindset, right? Where, where developing systems and proper process and stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of maniacal about that sort of thing. So, you know, anytime you're, you're starting a business or, or you're leading a department or a team, I think that's an important thing to start with. But then from there, it's all about your team. And I'm super fortunate to have amazing teams at, at every, every organization that I help run right now. Because to me, without them, none, none of this would work. So the better your teams, the more they allow you to do other things, right? So I, I could do things like, for example, once Champion got to an amazing point and all my team there was doing such a great job, I said, okay, well, I have some bandwidth. I can, I can go help the Chicago White Sox. That's great. And then once that process kind of got rolling, you know, more bandwidth kind of opened up because, again, a great team's in place. I can go help the sports academy. So, you know, that's kind of how I've been doing it. Um, I'm really looking forward to cut back a little bit so I can start working on my golf game a little bit more. But uh, other than that, though, it's 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 been fun to have such great <laughs> – right, well, <laughs> I don't know. One day. <laughs> like, like, like all of us, one day. So you've built incredible teams. What do you look for when you're looking to add to those teams? Uh, it's a good question. You know, for me, it, it always comes down to like, you know, a lot of what we do isn't as complicated as people want to make it out to be, especially on social media. Right. So for me, I'm just looking for a good person first, like a good human. That's like step number one. Right. It sounds easy, but you got to you got you to gotta have a good human. And then from there, you got to have a real service based mentality. I think that's important in our world nowadays is. You have to understand that we're here to help serve our community, our clients, our patients, our athletes, whatever it is you're working with. You know, so for me, um, you know, we can train anybody to do anything we want. It's it's the people that, you know, have that mentality that it's not about us. It's about them that really succeed, I think, in this world nowadays. It's real. PT really isn't that high level. I, I mean, you can dumb this. <laughs> right. <laughs> where like right. they're they're tight and you stretch it or they're weak and you strengthen it and like if you can get a little simpler about that and boil that down i've found that that goes a long way it's funny right right i i always tell people if 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 somebody spent a day with you and, and, and i think they would leave and say like wow they're a lot more simple than i thought they were going to be right that to me that's the key to success is that we understand that it's not about complicating everything it's actually about simplifying everything yeah simplifying it and and also right like the patient and athlete they have to understand it make them the expert at what's going on uh, i've seen that go a really long way right. so along that yeah. expertise huge um, you are the elbow whisperer i think i saw that on your business card <laughs> so <laughs> you have to introduce this audience to UCL surgery and rehab, tell us about uh, what's new and and kind of educate us on this internal bracing technique. Oh yeah, no, that's good. That's actually a good topic, the internal brace. So, um, hex, you know, the last several decades, you know, we've we've had a gold standard for for Tommy John procedures for UCL injuries in, in overhead athletes, mostly baseball players, but we've had a gold standard with the reconstruction. 
right? And it's very reliable outcomes. You know, you could argue 90 plus uh, percent success rate, especially if you're done and the right person and not a young kid or something like that. Um, but it's been it's been really good. The problem is, though, if you look at the sport of baseball in general, the amount of injuries that we're seeing, especially with Tommy John and the elbow, just continue to skyrocket. It's actually enormous, and it's you know it's absurd when you actually look at some of the epidemiology of them and how they're uh, they're continuing to hurt themselves. But the 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 typical person now is becoming younger and younger every year. So when I first started, you know, 20 plus years ago, the, the person that would get a Tommy John injury was, you know, in their thirties, you know, more of a wear and tear type injury, like just chronic degeneration over a career. And now, you know, you know, your listeners know it's, it's high school kids, it's college kids, it's sometimes even youth kids. Um, it's just different now. So, you know, this reconstruction procedure is a big deal. Um, uh, luckily, as we got better with surgical technique, Right. And the, the advent of kind of some new things like this internal brace. Right. Which is essentially just like a like a fiber tape, it's like a piece of tape, we'll call it. Right. Um, that was uh, started to be applied in other areas like the ankle, for example, like a, for a chronic ankle sprain where you could repair a ligament with this this new tape. Um, and we've had some really, really uh, uh, smart physicians like Buddy Savoie down in, in New Orleans and Jeff Dugas in Birmingham, Alabama, they've done a really good job trying to now incorporate that into the elbow. And what we found so far is that if you have the right type of Tommy John injury, meaning not everybody's a candidate for the internal brace, but if you don't have this crazy chronic degenerative tear, it's not torn in half, but you just have some, you know, essentially like a, a non-functioning, like it's just, just, it's just not stable enough type ligament. You can, you can add this internal brace to it and actually have some pretty successful outcomes. And the benefit is, is, is the rehab's a lot faster because you don't have to have a full reconstruction and turn a, a tendon into a ligament, right? That, that takes time, right? So our return to play is a lot faster. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So dumb it down a little bit, right? We talked about making things simple. So this is, you would, the ideal candidate is only an attenuated ligament. Well, so it's, it, you know, when you look at, when you look at a UCL, right? So, you know, in, if you tore your ACL in your knee, right? Kind of just pops in half, right? Your skin, you twist your knee, it pops in half. That doesn't really happen as much with the, the Tommy John ligament. Uh, sure. Could you do that? Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But what happens over time is you almost see like if this is the ligament kind of attaching into the bone, what happens is it, it almost starts to just kind of like peel off a little bit on the articular side. You see that a little bit and it's not a full blown tear, but essentially what happens is it, it, it is essentially not functionally stable, right? So if you can go in there and repair that, or, or if just one side comes off and you just want to put it back down and then reinforce that with the, with the internal brace, I think you have a higher chance of being successful. Okay. And then walk me through how that rehab differs from our original UCL approach. Yeah, so with the original UCL approach, there's there's a bunch of things you're concerned about. Obviously, the tendon has to turn into a ligament. So that takes time. That takes weeks, you know, before that even happens. So the structure of the the ligament, um, you know, has to it has to heal over time. That's important. But there's also big bony tunnels that the physician puts into the elbow, right? Both proximal and distal. There's some big bony tunnels. And, you know, if you go too fast with that, you certainly don't want to fracture one of those or crack one of those. That would be that would be really bad. So for us, like the procedure there is more complicated. It's a bigger surgical procedure. Um, with the brace, because we're not reconstructing anything, we're just repairing it and then reinforcing it. Theoretically, it's stronger sooner. 
so you can go a lot faster. So, you know, I, I still am, uh, I don't want to say anxious because that's not quite the right word, but you know, when we look at the protocol and we start bringing people through the process, we're always like, gosh, this is, this is really fast. Like why, like, how are they, how are they tolerating this? But they do. And, and when you, when you have a new surgical procedure and you have to write a rehab protocol for it, you have to base it on your, your understanding of basic science and, and physiology and that sort of thing. And you have to do your best guess with that. Um, and essentially what we've done is, you know, we have people, they can start throwing, you know, you know, no later than three months a lot of times. And with the Tommy John procedure, they're starting to throw, give or take at like probably closer to the five month mark. Right. So we have people that are two months faster just with that. But then the throwing progression is so much faster, too. It's about half the time it could be. So, you know, people are back six, seven, eight months instead of instead of 12 to 15. Um, that's a pretty big deal. That, that's a really big deal, especially if that's how you earn your living, you know, being on the bumps. So Correct. That, yeah, that's definitely a big deal. Talk to me about um, ranges of motion and how much time you spend hands on. In both options, because I don't think that this internal brace has taken the country by storm yet. I think there are definitely places where right. dogs just don't know it yet, right? So if you could break that right. down into two categories, tell me how you're allocating your time early on. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, the first phase of either of these procedures, right, is, is almost like the damage control phase where, um, you know, you have a lot of pain, inflammation. I mean, like they have to they have to cut through muscle mass and stuff to get into the elbow. There's a lot of secondary healing that needs to occur. Uh, so range of motion is important. Um, you don't want to lose motion, right? Uh, typically in these athletes, if, if, and, and really anybody in general, but if you avoid elbow extension for too long of a time, you can lose it, right? The elbow joint is very congruent, right? If you were to look at like, you know, a picture of the elbow joint, just on like Wikipedia and you look at it, there's no like empty space. There's a big joint capsule. It's a very congruent joint. So it's, it, 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 it can get tight very easily and you can lose extension. And that would be bad, especially if you're a younger person. So we do a lot of frequent range of motion right away. First week, we're doing range of motion, flexion, and extension. Um, I will say as a little tidbit for those that don't do a ton of Tommy Johns, um, you know, careful with forcing flexion, right? Because that puts some tension on the graft that they just had. But with extension, I, I don't want to say we're forcing it, but we're, we're certainly trying to get it back within the first few weeks after surgery. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a little bit more, I want to make sure we get that extension. If flexion's struggling a little bit, I, I, don't, I don't mind as much, but um, it's all about being consistent and, and, and just gradually progressing, progressing each week to make sure that they're making little gains. And the motion will come back. I mean, we, we, we don't struggle with restoring range of motion in these surgeries unless you just flat out don't do it for too long. Like you, you wait till two or three weeks to start therapy or you, you aren't focusing on range of motion. If you just focus on it pretty early, it, it come, it should come back in these procedures. And, and that's for both of them, right? You would say that for, mm -hmm. okay, so for sure. By, yeah. By the way, like, yeah. you know, in doing a lot of these interviews and podcasts and just talking to PTs across the country, that sounds so similar to what I hear about the ACL. And I think it's like a massive right. mistake we make as clinicians of being like super leery to, to know where that joint needs right. to be and to know what we're pushing through to get there. So, so to force a knee into terminal right. extension and to educate appropriately to get them to terminal extension, you're not stressing that ACL. It sounds like it is the same thing here with the elbow appropriately right. to, to just right. get to that terminal extension. And once you know that, own that 
relay it to the patient, a lot of that stuff, like you say, kind of falls away. They're going to get that extension. Let me ask you this. How do you know how hard right, to right. push into flexion extension? How do you gauge how hard you're pushing? Yeah, I, I, the, I think the first thing comes back to uh, time, right? So meaning like, let's say, for example, it's early. That's when you have to have a little intuition. But let's say if it's late, it's eight weeks, nine weeks, 10 weeks, and they're still scuffling with some range of motion. I know I can push because I know on the inside it's healed enough that I can get more aggressive. So, so time's number one. But most often it's early on and people are pretty sore. Um, I'll say this. Um, I, I think you have to move them if they're super flared up from the surgical procedure and they're just having a, a really crazy inflammatory response, the elbow's hot, swollen, that type of thing. Um, moving it is key and frequent gentle motion is phenomenal for them. So they need to do it at home quite a bit. If you crank on that a little bit too much, you're going to get a bit of a bounce back and, you know, and it could kind of, kind of backfire. You'll get a loss of range of motion. That's not what we're shooting for. That's not good. Uh, but for me, it's that's why the protocols are there. You know, like, hey, I want to get about 5 to 10 degrees of range of motion each week. So it's almost like a pace car, making sure that you're doing that. Is there going to be a little discomfort? Sure. But, like, man, with very, you know, fairly gentle range of motion that you're performing as a therapist, you're not putting that much stress on the healing tissue. You're not, you know, torquing the crap out of it. So, you know, for me, I, I, I think you'll have that intuition that, it's, you know, get to that little bit of pain, right? If somebody's having a really bad time and it's really sore, we'll just do passive range motion for longer. I might just move somebody back and forth for 15 minutes straight and just talk to them about what are they watching on Netflix? Like, what's going on? Did they see the game last night? Um, and and what happens over time is you get them to that, that edge of that threshold of where they are, and that, that window slowly opens up as they get more comfortable. So, um, you know, you have to understand the healing, you know, constraints. You have to understand that any guarding or spasticity is probably something you don't want to push through. That's going to, that's probably going to backfire on you, but some gentle discomfort. I think they just got to gain a little confidence in the limb and, and just gentle working it through is going to be better than just cranking on it. Yeah. Um, how do you set that patient up? You know, I, I value, I really value the Macrina mobilization where he works on that knee into flexion over edge of bed. That's like the biggest thing that I learned probably yeah. 15 years yep. ago from Lenny. Right. But yeah. Um, how do you set that yeah. up for success around the elbow? Yeah. I mean, similar thing. I think, you know, we, we do most of our range of motion just supine with, you know, put a little towel roll under their elbow. And, and again, it's, it's a very comfortable position. You can relax your thorax, you can relax your, your scap, your shoulder joint, and just allow us to do the motion. So, you know, for me, I think that's, that's a pretty simple way to do it, that, that it, it's about getting them to relax. Right. And I think the seated position for the knee is a good example. It's about just getting them to relax and, and, and just, just allowing the motion to happen. How do you feel about me calling that the Macrina mobilization versus the Mike mobilization? Do you? <laughs> I think that's good. Well, I mean, we both got it from from Kevin Wilk, and I'm sure he got it from somebody else. So there's there's a, there's a long line of that. But I, I appreciate it. Lenny's the man, so for sure, Lenny's a you know uh, he's got a lot that I've learned from him over the years too. I love it. How much um, pronation supination are you biasing? Are you worried about? Yeah, uh, we work pronation, supination right away. No limitations, so meaning like you can you can do that to full like pretty early in the process. But absolutely, you want to work on that. Um, you know, and one thing we didn't talk about it with, with the other range of motion conversation we just had is, but just remember, like a few weeks ago, this kid was injured, right? This kid, it, you know, something was going on with him, and he had an injury. So 
maybe his flexor pronator mass was really tight two weeks ago before surgery too. So, you know, it's not just, you know, do we do their range of motion, but we may have some things we have to clean up that, that was there for months. So yeah, pronation, supination doesn't really put a lot of strain on the graft. So it's something that we do, you know, pretty, pretty easily at the beginning. Um, and yeah, you rarely have trouble with it. That mindset that you just highlighted is so imperative to an outstanding sports PT, which is something led to this issue. Maybe it's elbow related. Right. It's probably, maybe it's shoulder related. You said something something awesome on on your webinar last night about the percent of velocity that comes from everything but the upper extremity, which was what number? Right. Yeah. 86% comes from the trunk and, you know, core and lower half. Yep. And so this is going to tie into my next question, but we're trying to figure out what got the patient to this and let's see if we can fix that. Right. While they can't pick up a baseball. I think that's an all right. like piece to, to look at. So going down that rabbit hole, when do you start strengthening and when do you start um, really full body conditioning? Yeah. Uh, you know, and great thought behind that too, because that's the benefit of this long rehab process is we get to reconstruct the person like kind of, you know, top to bottom. And that's why a lot of people say sometimes they come back throwing harder. Like if you look at statistical studies that look at like, let's say velocity before and after a Tommy John at a professional level, right? They don't go up in velocity. They may go down in velocity. They certainly don't go up. What happens in the youth though, is that they're just, they're a mess and we clean them up for a year and then they come back throwing harder, but it's, it's just because they, they weren't optimized. So most people aren't optimized. Uh, I will say this is my biggest, you know, fear is the wrong word. I'm not really afraid, but like my, my biggest fear of the uh, internal brace procedure is that, um, you know, it's so fast that I don't have enough time to clean the kid up before he starts throwing, right? I mean, if, if his mechanics are terrible, if he has terrible rotator cuff strength, he's never worked out his core or his lower half in his life, and he hurts his Tommy John because he throws with terrible mechanics – then, you know, me rushing to have him start a throwing program eight to 10 weeks after surgery, he's going to look even worse, right? So for me, I think we need to really, you know, be smart about that. I think I think we can do a better job. Um, we start strengthening right away technically, right? We'll do isometrics around the elbow joint right away and the shoulder joint. We do that right away. We'll start doing an isotonic program in controlled ranges for the shoulder and elbow, like, you know, week three, you know, by week four, the latest and start to progress. Um, and then, you know, if you just think like even just adding a pound a week for a couple of months, right, that gets them to a really good spot. And then when you get to about week 12 for a traditional reconstruction, um, around week 12 is when we would start integrating some, some more loaded movement patterns. So away from the isolated strengthening of a muscle and more towards loading a movement pattern, like a, a push and a pull, for example. Uh, so we'll do that around week 12. Everything would be about, you know, that'd be about, I don't know, a month earlier with, uh, with uh with the with the internal brace procedure and then how, how about the rest of of the athlete lower body trunk you comfortable with that right away yeah so we actually have a lot of our athletes so if you're a pro athlete right you're like a high level athlete you are um you're going to be doing stuff right away right you, you have another arm you have your legs assuming you didn't take a gracilis graft you have your legs there's there's plenty to do so our pro athletes certainly aren't sitting around uh, you know, if it's a traditional reconstruction, I won't necessarily rush them back into the gym, but I'd say by about the fourth week or one month out, they're getting back into the gym. It makes them feel better mentally, and it just makes them feel like they're moving their body a little bit. It's it's just a win-win for a lot of reasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important part of the rehab for sure. Yeah, and, and I think early on from, from what I've seen, 
is getting them moving early is going to help with some of that other stuff that you talked about, which is their physiologic response to the surgery, right? Like how well, how quickly can we yeah. swelling? How much can we help them between the ears, things like that? And, and also when you get towards that blood yeah. restriction, you look at the entire systemic hormonal response to whatever you're loading, whether it be legs, how much is that helping the rehab? Process? Absolutely. Um, I think, I think yeah, it is I agree. totally worthwhile. Um, so you mentioned throwing. Yeah. Tell me when Mike Reinold thinks an athlete is ready to pick up a baseball. <laughs> oh, I like that. All right. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again, essentially. Uh, uh, we'll talk reconstruction first, right? So with reconstruction, the first thing, you know, that you have to do to pass the criteria to throw is it needs to be what we use is 20 weeks. So time is one because you need to have, you need to have the ability to heal. That doesn't mean you're ready at 20 weeks, but most of you tend to be ready. Um, you know, the way we've built our protocol, though, in the rehab program for this person is um, each week and each step and each activity they do, you could argue is a return to sport test, right? So meaning like, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't start throwing until you do one-hand plyometrics. You can't start one-hand plyometrics until you do two-hand plyometrics. You can't start two-hand plyometrics until you have a good baseline strength and dynamic stability of the cuff and scap, all that sort of thing, right? You can't do that until you have, like, good baseline range of motion and, and mobility of the elbow, right? So for us, that is how we sequence it. When we get to the point where we're ready to throw, if you've done everything we've asked you to do, I know you're ready, right? Because I, I put, you're going to literally pick up a ball and play light catch at, like, 30, 45 feet, <laughs> Like that is very anticlimactic compared to what we've been doing in rehab. Yeah. Um, I smile because you make it sound so simple, but that, but that's your point is that if you're planning a program right. and you really boil this thing down, it ain't rocket science, right? Right. <laughs> right. And you know, we, with Dr. Andrews, we, we used, Oh, sorry. I think we had a little lag there. Sorry. Uh, I, I was going to say with, with Dr. Andrews, we have, um, you know, we would do a lot of rechecks back in the day where um, maybe people would come and see him for surgery, but they wouldn't be rehabbing with us because they lived really far away. But he'd want to come and have them cleared before they begin throwing. So they'd come at week 16, give or take. And, you know, they'd say, are we ready to start throwing? And they may pass all the tests, right? Your motion's good, your strength's good, everything looks great. And they'd say, great. Have you done the one-hand plyos yet? And they're like, oh, no, 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 we haven't done it yet. We're like, okay. You're going to start throwing in two weeks, right? You're going to have to do all those, right? So I think it's important that you stick to your guns with some of those things. I love that. That's, that sounds like a lot of the ACL stuff we see, which is this idea of return to run. Like, what are the boxes you've checked in order to get there, right? Like, can you do a single leg stance? Right. Can you do a plyo? Can you do all those things? And obviously moving bilateral to unilateral, it sounds like the same thing here, upper extremity. Yep. Don't cut corners just because it's week X, right? Just because you think like, oh, it's week X oh, or even worse that the doctor blindly cleared them because it's week X. We always say like, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, the doc cleared you to start running or throwing. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. I think a couple more weeks we'll, we'll get our goals too and you'll be ready to throw. Congrats. Right? Like, you know, we don't, we don't make it an issue, but that's how you phrase it to them. And then they, they said, they, they seem to get it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Tell me the biggest mistake you see PTs making in Tommy John rehab? Ooh, in Tommy John rehab, the biggest mistake they make. Um, I mean, I, I do think that sometimes we don't get their shoulders strong enough, 
right? So maybe what we're doing is we're limiting their weights. Maybe we're not, um, you know, we're not getting the you know the dumbbells as high as we can. We're not doing a lot of manual dynamic stabilization things. I think sometimes we underload people. I think that would be common early on. Um, secondarily, when you're in the middle of a, a deep throwing program, sometimes we overload where we just layer on too much stuff. So, for example, if it's like month six, month seven, you're trying to set a PR in your deadlift and you're doing a bunch of gripping exercises in the gym and, and we're trying to progress you to long toss, that, that's a lot of stress on your forearm muscles and your grip, right? So you have to be careful how you layer in those, those different things early on. So, you know, I think most people are probably guilty of underloading at the beginning and overloading towards the end. That's, that's a great way to look at it. Tell me about a mistake you see that MDs make during this rehab process. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can we can state this publicly here, but no, I mean, some of the potential complications. I'd say, <laughs> right, exactly. No physicians are proud of me. <laughs> uh, there's, a, I would say, two things that we see for surgical complications that are a little bit. One is, um, I wish more physicians move the ulnar nerve, right? And I was just having a conversation with Dr. Jeff Dugas about this down in Birmingham with the internal brace. But you know, depending on your technique, you don't have to move the nerve. So Dr. Andrews in the modified Job technique, which is the most common one for reconstruction, um, that you have to move the nerve. It's just part of the process because it's in the way. Um, but if you do a different technique called a docking technique, you don't have to move the nerve. But I can't tell you how many times we've seen the nerve cause complications down the road. And if you're eight, nine, 10 months after Tommy John surgery and you start to have some ulnar symptoms that require like a second surgery, that's fairly, you know, devastating to them mentally, not physically, like we'll get over it. It's not a big deal, but man, that puts them back, you know, time-wise and mentally. I, I just, sometimes I wish they just moved the nerve to begin with. So still my preference to move the nerve. Um, I would say that's, that's probably the big one that I'd like to see docs do more, but I don't think they agree with me, so that's probably not going to happen. But, <laughs> but we see more of them after surgery than they do. Right. What are the complications of moving the nerve? Is there a downside? Yeah, I mean, it's it's more surgical time. Yeah, anytime you have to touch the nerve, it's you know you, you could you could have some issues with it. So again, I I I think if you actually look at complication rates of moving the nerve, they're very similar to complications of not moving the nerve. But to me, is like when you have one, like the complication of moving the nerve, not as big a deal as not moving the nerve. Does that make sense? I know that that's not a challenging, but no, you know what I mean. No, I mean, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it also starts to weed out the physician that is listening to a Mike Reinold. Or <laughs> like they should care, you would think, about these outcomes because that's all you're preaching about is, right. hey, we see all these people in the lab. This works better than yeah. it doesn't. You start to learn who are the physicians that give a damn or, by the way, say, Mike, here's why I don't do that. Um, right, right. They're, they're listening, you know? Um, right, I, I agree. Um, so, so I think it's, it's definitely worthwhile finding those, trying to find those physicians that will at, at least, you know, listen, um, yeah, about this. to be part of it, tell, yeah, to be, to be part of it. Um, you are one of certainly the most, the more active clinicians on social media. Tell me about your take on social media, um, both its positives and negatives that it's had on our profession. Oof, that, that's a good one. You know, it's funny, I, I'm on social media because you kind of have to be on social media, but you know, I was on social media at the beginning too. So you could argue the key to my ses success was I was just lucky that I was one of the first. It's not that I'm better than anybody else. I was just, I just was lucky. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I think social media is, it's challenging, right? I think I, I've, I've said to a couple of people lately, like Twitter, like uh, on Twitter, you're either a bully or getting bullied. It seems like it's like one of the two, right? So Twitter's turned into a tough crowd. Um, you know, Instagram, I think is fine, but the problem, you know, the issues with, with, with Instagram is that people are using that as a place that they go to learn. I think that's hilarious. Right. That you, like, you know, it's so hard to learn out of context with the 30 second video, what, what that fits and what that does. Um, you know, I, I just think it's not a, it's, it's, it's entertainment, right? I'm on Instagram looking at golf swings. I'm looking at like, you know, fun pictures for my friends and stuff like that. I, I'm mostly looking at golf swings. It's just, it's, it's mostly golf swing. I'll be totally honest. I, I have better golf swing chats than anything else on Instagram. But like, I am not out there going like, oh, I'm looking for the latest and greatest exercise, right? Like, I, I think the problem is, is everybody's looking for that quick jolt of information. And like, without context, it makes no sense, right? So it, it's very challenging. You have people make some crazy statements, like the nevers and always, right? That are always on Instagram. And man, I trust me, we look at them and we talk about them at work with the students. We like, you know, we, we show we're like, hey, did you guys see this little buzz that's happening on Twitter right now? And we're like, here's why you should never say that, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like to try to help them a little bit. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, it's a love-hate relationship with social media. I think you just have to take it as entertainment and realize that, look, you, you have to dig into the research. You have to go learn from from experts that are publishing, that are researching, that are educating. You have to do that. And then Instagram's just fun on top of that. Gotcha. Um, you have made that very clear to, to kind of go to the people that are publishing, <laughs> researching, but but also treating. And, and that's one of the things that I really value about right. following you and, and learning from you is that you still got your hands on, on athletes. You're still there right. working because you love it. Um, and, and that's super valuable to, to my audience. I, I made the mistake of going to graduate school and being taught by a lot of clinicians that were no longer clinicians and were simply professors. I think dancing back right. and forth creates an outstanding environment to learn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to a close right. with this give me five drill, which I picked up on someone's podcast where I just really want your quick answers to the following questions. But, Mike, just try to keep it concise, huh? Ready? <laughs> let, let, let's do it okay what have you changed your mind on in the last five years concerning ucl rehab uh with ucl rehabs so we're going to be specific to ucl um i i think i think it probably goes back to that flexion range of motion thing um i think um, over the last several years that we've had more and more surgeons performing Tommy John surgery and some of them may put the graft in a little tight, right. Than than a more experienced person. That's not necessarily bad in the long run, but when that happens, um, and you have a limitation in flexion in the elbow, you just have to be careful cranking on it. So that's one thing I changed my mind on is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little less aggressive on trying to get flexion back on somebody that's struggling with it. What is the biggest failure of your career? Oof, the biggest failure of my career. Um, I would say probably the biggest thing that I would say a failure. That's interesting. You define failure. I, I like I like how you said that. I what I would say is I think earlier on in my career, right? I think we all, you know, you see an evolution of people over time. I think I was so hard into the science. I was so hard into research and publications and doing that sort of thing that I thought that I've, I found 
the answers to some, some specific questions, right? I thought I found the answers. But the more that you have experience with things, you realize that there's more than one answer to most problems. So um, you don't want to go in there thinking that there's only one answer and being really stubborn with your approach. Because then what happens, and you see this on social media all the time, you spend all your time kind of defending your bias and defending your belief instead of keeping an open mind, right? So I, I, if I'd say there's one thing you know, that I failed earlier in my career with was that I, um, you know, I went in there thinking there was a right way and a wrong way to do certain things. Um, but you know, if that's, that's good because that failure leads to you, you know, realizing that that's not true and then you grow. That is sage, Mike. Don't, don't date yourself. I think, I think that's really awesome. Yeah. If, if you were to construct a billboard that a sports PT drove by every day of their life, what would you put on that billboard? Oof, that's a good. All right, so sport PT, um, we're here to serve. I think that's it. That's it. We're here to serve. Have a servant mindset, right? Especially nowadays, too. You know, we're graduating. Pulling up to a church. (laughs) All right, so maybe I'm not the best marketer. I don't know, but uh, have a servant mindset. because to me, I, what it comes down to is just very simple is, you know, you see students come through your facility all the time, right? Some students want to show their patients and the people around them how smart they are. And some want to show them like that, look, I'm here to help you in any way. Uh, if you go, you know, and have a servant-based mindset, I think you're set. A lot of people get upset if you're like, hey, I, re- I recommend you you stop running. You take a week off from running. Right. And then the next visit, they come back like, yeah, no, I went for a jog this weekend. I couldn't help it. Like some people would take that personal. And they, they would you just got to realize, look, we're just here. We're here to guide. We're here to, you know, to help them achieve their goals. So have a servant mindset, I think, was the best approach. Yeah, that, that's an awesome way to go about that. That humility is so imperative. Um, let me close on this. Tell me the last time you were starstruck. Starstruck, you know, it's funny. It's it's not during sports, right? Because I've gotten way past that in sports. Um, so it's actually it's like it's like podcast. it's weird. So tell me when it is. <laughs> I, I, so I, I'm a music fan, so I would say like musicians still starstruck me when I get to meet some musicians and stuff. That's fun. Um, but you know, even back in the day, it's funny. Like you, you know, you work with all these people, Hall of Famers, Cy Youngs, like MVP, you know, all these great people, and then like you know, like Triple H from the WWE would like walk in the clinic, and you're like, all right, that's crazy. You're like <laughs> that guy, that that guy's awesome. <laughs> exactly right. So trust me, it's not athletes that you walk into a clubhouse, you know, and you see some people that expect you to think like, oh wow, like surprised they're not there but no for for me i think it's more musicians than anything right now for me that was a good question thanks man i did, I did some research on this um okay mike <laughs> tell, me, tell me how people can find you tell me um what you're excited about tell us just how we can keep soaking in this knowledge coming out of the mike reinold brain <laughs> Uh, well, I, I'm easy to follow, just MikeReynolds.com, my website, and that's kind of the hub for everything. But 
Um, man, at this point, I, we, we got a little bit of everything, right? We're on all the social channels, got a couple of podcasts out there, just started a new webinar series. So we're doing a bunch of stuff. But, um, you know, a couple of big things is, you know, our champion performance specialist, which is like our big epic course now where, you, you know, we kind of teach our system of, of, of how we do performance therapy and training. Um, that's uh, It's got two cohorts a year that we open it up to, but one's about to open up in a, in a little bit of time here. So, you know, you should check that out at uh, com slash CPS. Um, that's a big one. Um, and then I'm actually working behind the scenes. If you listen to this episode, you're probably like baseball. Um, we're working on a baseball rehabilitation specialist course, which is probably about 20 years overdue for me. But um, I don't know why I've never built this, but it's time. So we're going to get that out hopefully uh, sometime in the first half of this year. Um, that sounds awesome. And I'd love to reconnect and really like dive into what that means and, and what you're, you're pushing that way. I love everything you're doing, have for years. Can't thank you enough for, for joining us. You're, you're really a wealth of knowledge, um, both in terms of the academia, but also how to relate and how to interact and how to make meaningful decisions when that athlete's in front of you. So Mike, thanks. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And thanks for joining us on the true sports PT pod. Thanks. That, that's awesome. Man. I really appreciate it and, and appreciate the kind war, words and you taking uh, time out to do this and, and really giving back to the community yourself, right? I mean, it takes a lot of work to do these sorts of things. So I hope your listeners know that, um, you know, this is a big endeavor on your part. So thanks for taking the time out to share and help us all grow. And uh, I look forward to learning from you guys in the future too. Thanks, Mike.